We're looking at Jeremiah, a book that a lot of people don't look at, but a fascinating character, a fascinating book. Jeremiah was a prophet. Jeremiah, let me bring you up to speed. Uh, Saul was the first king of Israel, followed by a guy by the name of David, who was then followed by a guy by the name of Solomon. The kingdom then split. Ten tribes went to the north, two tribes went to the south. The ten in the north are called Israel, and they had no good kings. They did not follow God. They went into captivity fairly quickly. The tribes in the south, which there were only two, we call them Judah, those are the tribes that had Jerusalem is in Judah. And so Jerusalem is, is like the center of worship for them, and they have good kings and bad kings. By the time we get to Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah comes, the last good king, a guy by the name of Josiah, was king. So when Jeremiah starts his ministry, uh, Josiah is in leadership. When we get to the passage we're going to look at today, uh, Josiah has died. And so now they're going to be followed by four bad kings. Four kings that did not pursue God. Jeremiah is in the middle of this. Ultimately, what's going to happen is Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And Jerusalem is going to, and the people of, uh, are going to be taken captive. Um, they're going to be taken all the way over to Babylon, the book of Daniel, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and all that. They are part that go into the captivity over there. And so that, all that's happening over there. Jeremiah's still in Judah. So when Jeremiah starts his ministry, there's a lot of people. Then Jeremiah is going to watch Jerusalem be destroyed, and then Jeremiah is going to preach to a small group of people trying to get them to turn back to God. So about the first 40 chapters or so of the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah standing up, shouting, repent, change, stop, stop doing what you're doing, follow God, maybe he won't judge. And so there are about, depending on how you read it, 12 sermons or so that he preaches. Uh, and we've kind of been working through some. We talked about the idea that to, he's encouraged them to seek the old paths. We talked last week about the idea that they put up idols, scarecrows, um, as a reminder. And this morning we're going to look at, at, actually it's kind of parts of the fourth, fifth, and sixth message that he gives. And we're looking at, uh, we're not going to read all these chapters. I just picked like two big key things out of it that I think we can focus on and, and make practical and use in our lives this week. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 11 and uh, kind of start there. Um, here's what happened. It's getting really tough for Jeremiah. People are not liking what he says. I mean, everything's going great, and this guy's standing up going, hey, change, God's going to destroy you, change, repent, st- follow God, and, 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 and people are getting tired of this. So if you get tired of it, how do you solve it? Get rid of him. So people are starting to plot now to get rid of him. In fact, in these chapters, God's actually going to tell Jeremiah and inform Jeremiah some of his very own family members are plotting against him. He didn't know that. But people are really starting to say, let's just get rid of him. Let's push yourself. We're getting tired of listening to this. It's like, it's like the old Charlie Brown thing, the want, 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 you know, the teacher. That's what they're looking at. That's kind of how Jeremiah is to him. They just figure, like, well, let's get rid of him. And so Jeremiah's kind of getting frustrated. And Jeremiah's looking at all of this, and so what happens is, ultimately, here's what Jeremiah's going to say. God, why don't you just get rid of them for me? God, I'm tired of mussing around. I'm, these guys, I'm the good guy here. They're the bad people. Deal with the bad people. Have you ever felt like that? 
Mary thought like, okay, look, I, you know, I mean, I'm trying to serve God. I'm going to church. I'm doing all this stuff. And, dee, 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 dee. and my buddy over there who could care less about God, who is just pursuing life at, at, at a full limit, it's like every time he touch, everything he touches turns to gold. And I'm struggling. God, wipe him out. Do something. Shake him up. It's not fair, God. Welcome to Jeremiah's question. By the way, it's the same question that Job asked. It's the same question that in Psalmist, a guy by the name of Asap asked. So it's not an uncommon question, but here's the passage, Jeremiah chapter 11 and beginning of chapter 12. Here's what he said. Uh, he starts out with, uh, we got it? There you are. He starts out, this is a classic Hebrew idea in court is the way he starts it out. It's, it, he, he addresses God as a term of honor, and he says this, you are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. He says, God, I understand that like, you're the you're God. You get it all right. But I got a problem. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And why do all the faithless live at ease? He said, God, I, I don't get it. A people who could care less about you, they're like, they don't have a care in the world. And the people who are unrighteous, man, they're making money hand over fist. And I, I'm the guy getting persecuted. I'm the guy getting made fun of at work. I'm the guy everybody's, like, taking shots at. You have planted them, and they've taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, O Lord. You see me, and you touch my thoughts about you. He said, God, you know me. You know my heart. You're always looking at my heart. You're always challenging me. And now listen to what he says. This is, I love Jeremiah because he's like real. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked and the animals and the birds are perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. He's like, God, don't you get it? These people don't even think you're paying attention. God, I want you to deal with them. I don't understand. You're a righteous judge. You do everything that's right. How come you're letting them live? Got to love God's man. I mean, he's like gut-level honest here. And notice what God says, because God never answers this question. That's what's fascinating. Here's what God says. Chapter 12, uh, going on. You got it? If you've raced with the men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? He says, if you stumble in safe country, how are you going to manage in thickets by Jordan? Jeremiah comes to God and he says, God, I don't get it. How come all of them are being able to like live and prosper and I'm struggling? And I'm having a hard time here trusting you. I mean, God, you're, you're like the righteous judge. Man, wipe them out, and then it'll show that I'm right and they're wrong. That, I should, that people should follow you, and, and, and if they don't follow you, then you're going to take care of them. And God throws out this odd thing to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, if you can't keep up with soldiers on foot, how are you going to keep up with horses in a battle? And you know, what, you know what God's saying to Jeremiah? 
it's going to get worse. Now, just think about it for a minute. At this point in history, he's coming off a good king. They're starting to have bad kings. And ultimately, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, and Jeremiah's going to be left. And God's saying, Jeremiah, one of the reasons I'm letting you go through some tough stuff right now is because it's going to get worse. And Jeremiah, if you can't handle this, if you can't handle people making fun of you, if you can't handle the little pokes and prods of people like doing stuff to you, and you can't trust in me now, what are you going to do when it gets worse, Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah, Judah is not getting better. Judah is not following me. So at some point, Jeremiah, I'm going to deal with Judah, and you're going to have to be here in a part of it. And Jeremiah, what I'm trying to prepare you for is to, is to be able to run with horses because it's going to get worse. And, you know, it, it gives me some insight here because God's really dealing with some pretty tough stuff here with Jeremiah. And basically what he's saying is, Jeremiah, it applies two things. Jeremiah, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. Believe me, I would love to take the theology that says, when you become a Christian, everything comes up roses. I so want my Bible to go there. But I can't be honest with the Bible and say it goes there. I can be honest with the Bible and say that it will give me a, a peace and a comfort and ability to get through whatever comes my way. I can, get, I can go to the Bible and say God can make good come out of anything. But to say it's going to be easy... I mean, I go through all of the Old Testament people, and I go, it wasn't easy for them. I go through all the New Testament people, and I go, it wasn't easy for them. I look at my Savior. It wasn't easy for him. It was tough. And what Jeremiah, what, what God comes to Jeremiah and says is, Jeremiah, look, I understand you want me to wipe them out so your life will be easier. But Jeremiah, that's not going to prepare you for when Jerusalem gets destroyed, and it's the Babylonians and everybody else who are making your life miserable. Jeremiah, part of what you're going through right now is to get you so that you can run with horses, so that you are prepared for the big stuff that co that's coming down the pike. It's one of my concerns for us as a country, by the way. I see Christians right now who, look, I, I'm like you. I'm not happy with what's going on. I don't like the direction our country is headed. I don't agree with the direction our country is going. But when I see Christians whose faith is rattled now, I get concerned because I would love to come up here and tell you it's going to get better. But I got a lot of world history that says it ain't going to get better. So I think one of the great lessons for us as a nation is we better get prepared to run with horses and to be able to be strong when the really difficult times come because they're coming. And that's basically what Jeremiah says. And whatever it is you're dealing with in your life right now, you need to understand that part of it, I'm not saying it brings you any comfort, but at least get the head knowledge of the idea that God is using it to prepare you for difficult times, for other things that are coming down the road. Because life is not all roses. There are some great things, and God gives you the ability to live life and live it abundantly. But that doesn't mean it's without, it's without struggle and hardship and difficulty. And one of the things that it shows me is that there's this idea here, this concept here, that if I'm going to follow God, if I'm genuinely going to follow God with my whole, whole heart, there's a cost in serving. It also reminds me of the idea that 
we learn and we solve little things before we deal with big things. See, if Jeremiah can learn to follow God right now when it's a little tough, he's going to be able to follow God when it's really tough. And by the way, it's a Bible principle all the way across the board. Be faithful in little things. I'll let you have big things. Don't you do that with your kids? You don't look at your kids. You know, by, if you do this, then, okay, you know. You don't look at a kid and go, hey, for your first car, I'm going to give you a 2013 Lamborghini. Say, what? No, go let him wreck a junker first, then give him the fancy car. Um, what? You, you find out, you know, you, you know and, and you do it in a job. You give somebody a little task, and when they're faithful to that, then you can increase their, their, the task that you give them. And it's the same way God's saying, look, Jeremiah, I want you to be able to handle this stuff. And then when the big stuff comes, you're ready for it. You can run with the horses, so to speak. And so that's one of the lessons God teaches Jeremiah. And it's the same lesson for us. Whatever you're going through right now, listen. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying this brings you a ton of comfort. But all I can tell you is this. God can use it in your life to prepare you for bigger, harder things. You know, that's not a lot of comfort because you're saying it might get worse. Yeah. But that's okay if God's with me through it. And we'll talk about that in a second. Then he comes to the next chapter, chapter 13, he does this really great illustration. So I'm going to try to illustrate it. I I really, in my heart, I wanted to illustrate it exactly like the Bible does, but it would be too crude. You would not be able to handle it. So I tried to, you really would not be able to handle it. I wouldn't be able to handle it. So anyway, Here's the idea. And this is a T-shirt. It had to be one of my kids because it's a medium. And those were many moons ago for me. Uh, So probably Josh's, I'm going to guess. But anyway, this is a T-shirt. And and, and in our home, T-shirts and socks have a journey they make. They start in a package delivered to the house, and then they get opened and we wear them. And then they get washed, and then they go. And at some point, they get stained. Something gets on them. If they stay in good shape and we outgrow them, which has happened, they go to like the mission or goodwill. If they just get worn, they make the journey from our house to my shed. There's a great big barrel in my shed full of underwear, T-shirts, dress shirts, socks, uh, because they are now shop rags. Okay? This, this is actually what I would consider... It still has about a year or two left on it in our house. Now, what's sad is I've seen some of you when I stopped by your farm. You wear this. You're still wearing these things. Okay? That's what's crazy. I know people who are going, oh, that's a good shirt, man. I'd be wearing that. I've got one of those Life is Good shirts, and I'm telling you, this thing has, like, seen its last. My wife keeps telling me every time I put it on, she's like, when are you going to get rid of that? It's horrendous. I'm like, this is my shirt, baby. You know, uh, I love this shirt. This is, this, there's a lot of history with this shirt. Eventually, that shirt will make it out to Chet, all right? And then um, the ones that are worse, they're, they're so bad, I couldn't bring them in because to hold them up, I would get grease on me. Uh, but I don't throw them away, even if they got all covered in grease, because you, you know this, like when you're changing uh, fluid in uh, um, a radiator or whatever else, man, they're great to just throw down or sop it all up, and then you throw them in a burn barrel. So that's the last step. That's the last journey of a shirt in our home. Now, I tell you that because 
I love God, and, and he does unique things, and this is one of those classic cases with Jeremiah. There's a lot of these in the book of Jeremiah. This is a really good one. But Jeremiah 13, listen to the story. And, and I'm going to put it, you know, when they write the Bible, when they translate the Bible, they try to put it in language that makes it easy for us. So I'm going to try to give you the nitty-gritty of the story. This is what the Lord says to me. Go and buy a linen belt, put it around your waist, do not let it touch the water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed, put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, take the belt you brought and wearing around your waist. Go now to Perith. Some translations have this as Euphrates. Um, and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. And I went and hid it in Perith as the Lord told me. And many days later, the Lord said to me, now go down to Perith and get the belt that I told you to hide there. So I went to Perith and dug it up and took it from the place I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. It's a story when you and I read it, it's like, oh, it's like a story, okay? Um, let me translate it for you in 2013 English, okay? Realistically, he's not talking about a belt. He's talking about underwear. And what they had was they had a long tunic. We would, it would be like a girdle is what they would wear during those days, okay? So it's kind of like a girdle. Here's what God said. Jeremiah, go to the store and buy you a new package of underwear. Now, Take it out of the package, and I don't want you to wash it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I buy stuff from the store, the first once I know that it fits, first thing I do is wash it because I don't like it all prickly and starchy, and I want it nice and soft. And he says, Jeremiah, I don't want you to wash it. I don't want water to touch it. I want you to put it right on. So Jeremiah goes, buys a package of underwear, puts it on, and then God's saying, now don't take it off. Four days. Now, here's where the story gets. Now, now I think it's significant God chooses underwear, and here's why. <coughs> this piece of fabric, uh, underwear, if you'll think about it for a minute, is the most intimate type of clothing you can wear. Is it not? Um, newsflash, kids, underwear was not designed to be shown. Don't care what kind you're wearing, don't want to see it. So guys, hike up the pants, girls, cover it up. Underwear is not designed. It's only to be designed to see by your spouse. That's it, okay? Past that, don't want to see it. So he puts on, but again, why? Because underwear is intimate. It's the most intimate piece of clothing we have. I think that's why God, because when, when I put the whole story together, this will all make sense. And here's what God says. He says, now, Jeremiah, I don't want you to wash it. I don't want you to take it off. I want you to wear the underwear, and I want you to go to Perth. Now, there's some debate here, okay? I'm going to let you know. There's a place that some people say that he was to go to that was about five miles away, okay? However, there are a lot of other people that believe that what he's talking about is the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River would have been a 200 to 350-mile journey. How far is Kansas City from here? How many miles? Huh? Pretty close to that? So in other words, here's what God would say if this was 2013. God would say, okay, Jeremiah, go buy a new piece of underwear, new, new package of underwear, put it on, don't wash it, wear it for a week or so. Now, go to Kansas City, walk down there. I want you to get all the way to Kansas City. And I want you to go and find you a cleft on a rock. I want you to take your underwear off. I want you to 
pack it up in there, and walk away. Now, I'm hoping at this point he brought an extra pair, but I don't know. It doesn't say. So I may have been freestyling all the way home, but he now goes all the way back 200 to 350 miles. Okay? Now, again, even if it's only 10 miles or 5 miles, it's still significant. And then what he says is, now Jeremiah gets home from this trip, and it says after a few days, God says, hey, go back and get it. So now he chucks all the way down there, and then, or wherever, wherever it was, whether close or far. I really think it was far, and I'll, t- and I'll get to why in a minute. Go and get it. So Jeremiah goes all the way down there. He pulls it out, and at this point, it's, first of all, it was dirty to begin with. Now it's been outside in all the elements and exposed to everything else. Now it's even worse. Jeremiah picks this thing up, and it's like, this thing is the sh- pieces. And God says, now put it on. He's like, I can't wear this, God. There's nothing left. There's nothing left. And what God does is he illustrates to Jeremiah exactly what's happened with the children of Israel. When I saved you, when I redeemed you, you were spotless. You were new. And yet, you have walked away from me. You haven't taken care of our relationship. You continually pushed me away. You've ignored me. I think the reason he went so far away was because that's exactly what Israel had done to God. And what's unique is the area that God tells him to go to, if it's the actual Euphrates River, guess what's right next to Euphrates? It was the area of Babylon, the people, the very people who were going to take them into captivity when, when Jerusalem was destroyed. So I think God actually intentionally said, I want you to go that far because I'm going I'm to illustrate to you what's happened. And what God was saying is, Jeremiah, this is what my people have done. This is why I can't take them back. There is nothing left, Jeremiah. I want to, but they have strayed so far from me, and they have damaged our relationship so much, Jeremiah. That's why, because actually when you start reading these passages, God is actually going to tell Jeremiah, don't waste your time praying for them. They've got to learn it the hard way. They won't repent. And yet over and over again, God's going to say, if they would repent, I'll take them back. But you know what? They won't repent. And Jeremiah, you need to understand, this is what I'm, in, this is what I'm going to take back and wear. And what's ironic is, although God says, I'll take them back, God says, this is what they've done. This is what my people have done. And so I think, there, I think the reason he chose underwear is because it was an illustration of I had this close, intimate relationship with, with Israel, Judah, and they didn't take care of our relationship. And then they continued to walk around, and they continued to walk farther and farther and farther and farther from me, and then they took our relationship and just shoved it aside as if it didn't matter. Now it has no value. And it was a great illustration for Jeremiah to be able to go back to the people and go, and this is what you've done. See why I like this book? It's really practical that way. So a couple lessons for us. First lesson. In these passages, one of the lessons that I see is this. Folks, look, I hope you understand that God draws a line. While Jeremiah is preaching this message, the enemies that are going to take Jerusalem captive and the people captive and destroy Jerusalem are in the planning stages right now. You need to understand that 
God draws a line. Now, for those who have never put their faith and trust in Christ, here's where the line is. At some point, you're going to take your last breath. Your heart's going to beat for the last time. Your lungs are going to take it, it, the last bit of air in. And that's God's line. At that point, you're going to stand before God. And at that moment, it is not about your works. It's not about your baptism. It's not about all of those things. It's about one simple thing. What did you do with Jesus Christ? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Did you trust him as your Lord and Savior? That's what it's going to be about. Look, that passage when Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me, is not just something we throw in, in funeral bulletins. No one gets to the Father without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. And as long as you have breath, and as long as your heart's beating, God says, look, you can come to me. I love you. At, I love you. When you're like this, I'll take you back. And I'll clean you up, and I will make you my own, and I will make you one of my children. I love you that much. I will embrace you. I offer you eternal life. I offer you the ability to make this white as snow. But you have to choose it. I'm not going to choose it for you. And when, and God's drawn a line. And God said, I will give you, after that, I'm sorry, there is no second chance, there is no purgatory, there is no limbo, there is no whatever. There is heaven, eternity with God, there is hell, eternity apart from God, with Satan and those who God intended hell for. That simple. I don't like that. I don't like it either, but if that's what God says, that's the way it is. So first of all, understand, God's drawn a line. So for every one of us in here, we've got a line. You have to figure out what your theology is about life or death. I personally have a theology. My personal theology says, just like God said, I've determined that I was going to be born on August 21st. By the way, got a birthday coming up. Don't forget it. Um, <laughs> I think I know what I want, so we'll talk later. Uh, um, just like I was born, I believe God has a date for me to die. But God's got a line. God's got a line, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I understand that. I think, I think a second lesson, a second application in the story that I think helps all of us is this idea of this. The things that happen in our life, good, bad, ugly, prepare us for that which is to come. Every experience you have in life, you've heard it, it's the old adage, it's either going to draw you closer to God or farther away. Every experience you have in life is either going to make you better as a person or it's going to make you bitter. The choice is not about the experience. It's how you respond to the experience. I've watched life enough to see people respond good in bad experiences and bad in bad experiences. And how you respond determines what path you go, what, what the journey's going to be like. And God says, look, if you give me the chance, I will take whatever you go through and make it and prepare you and use it as a stepping stone to make you more like me, as a stepping stone to bring us closer, if you will let me. But the choice is with you, not with him. And Jeremiah's going through a tough time. He says, God, I don't get it. And God says, Jeremiah, I'm, I, I'm working with you so you can run with horses. But right now, you can't even keep up. It'd be like a guy going... Well, I can't pass phys ed, but I want to join the military. Well, I got news for you, buddy. If you can't pass PE, you're not going to make it through basic training. You can't take calculus 3 without taking calculus 1 and 2. 
I don't know why you take any of them. But, I mean, you can't do that. You know, I know, I'm sorry. I've offended Lael. Um, you know, there you go. Never coming back now. No, I mean, it's one of those things. What? You have to take this in order to prepare you for that. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm going to take what you're going through right now and prepare you so that when, when there comes a time that you've really got to suck it up and run with the horses, you can do it. You're ready for that. And maybe that's what God's doing right now in your life. He's preparing you to handle some of that really tough stuff that might be around the corner that you've got no clue about. The irony is Jeremiah knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen. God said, Jeremiah, I'm teaching to run with horses, man, so you just got to hang in there through this. Stick close to me. And I think the last thing that you see in this passage is this idea that God, God desires intimacy. That's a word we, do, we, we abuse in our, in our society. See, in, in, in our culture, intimacy in a, in, a, in a marriage relationship, we equal to sex. And we go, intimacy and sex are the same thing. No, they're not. And we, we, we've said they're not. In church, we, 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 we've said, well, you know, I'm close to God. Why, why are you close to God? Well, because I, you know, and what, what's happened is, um, like, I come to church, and I, like, read my Bible, so I'm, like, close to God. No, that's not intimacy. That's coming to church and reading your Bible. Well, you know, I don't understand. I don't understand my spouse. I mean, it's like I talk to them. No, you talk at them. You don't listen to them. Well, we, we communicate. I, like, tell her how it's going to be, and she's supposed to do it. Wow, no, I really don't understand why you're having struggle in your marriage. Really, I'm confused. No, see, intimacy is what we are all longing for. And the crazy thing is, we have a world in which says, intimacy is how many Facebook friends do you have? Or how many people follow your tweets? And some of you are going, what? Don't worry, everybody who knows what I'm talking about knows what I'm talking about. But that, that, that we substituted it all. And God says, look, I don't want you to punch a clock. I don't want you to just, I, I'm glad you come to church, but I want you to fellowship and worship and apply what you learn. I'm glad you read your Bible, but I want you to apply the truths to your life. You know, some of you have been a part of this deal on Wednesday nights where we invited people over to our home, and over and over again, this is what we've heard. Hands down, we've heard this every time. We had a great time. And when I look back on it, you know what we did? We ate and talked. We ate, sat around a table, no agenda, just talked and learned about everybody. And, and we learned tough stuff, and we learned funny stuff, and we learned all kinds of things. We learned about each other. You know what we created with that group that night? We started towards intimacy. We started towards seeing each other not just simply as a face or a name, but as people and getting to know one another. And my wife and I have been banging our heads against the wall going, because we enjoyed it just as much. We had just as much fun as anybody else. My wife and I said, how can we, get, how can we do this regular? So we think we've come up with a plan, at least for us. And I said, you know, we're going to take the church directory, we're going to look at everybody who came over, and then we've got one Sunday a month where our boys don't come home after church and eat with us. And I said, we're just going to find 10 people and invite them over and do that one, once a month. Just at what? Uh, you're being replaced. Yes, you are. <laughs> hey, you moved out, man. You're a deal. No, on drill weekends. So, but I mean, you know, uh, seriously, I mean, that's what happened. 
Why? Because we see the value of it, and everybody saw the value of it, but we're not taking the time to do it. But when we do, we gain so much from it. And yeah, you know, it, some of the discussions were tough. And some of them were just laughing until we were crying um, because it was, it was so much fun listening to the stories. You know, I mean, I saw Cammy this morning. I said, hey, did your mom or did your dad try to kill your mom this week? Um, you know, um, I mean, you know, because that's going to be like a running story now with us. You know, it's like, you know, well, did Kenny try to kill her this week? Uh, you know, I, but it's fun. We can laugh and we can joke about it. You know what? That's what God wants from you. He wants you to be real. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to be close. He wants you to be, he wants you to be the point that when you have a problem, the first person you turn to is not a friend, is not Facebook, is not an email, is not a phone call, but you talk to him first. Do all those other things too, but talk to him first. It's that close, intimate relationship that I don't know if you figured it out yet or not, but when I'm angry with God, I tell God I'm angry with him. I mean, my theology says God knows my heart, so he knows I'm mad anyway. Why don't I just say it? And I found out that when I start saying, God, I'm really ticked because you're handling this this way, then I go, that don't sound right. <laughs> then I have to deal with my heart, and that's the way I grow. God wants that kind of intimate relationship. It's that kind of, and, and when you have intimacy with somebody, and, and again, I'm not talking about marriage, I'm not talking about a, a, a physical thing, I'm talking about intimacy, genuine intimacy. When you have intimacy, here's one of the things you learn. Um, I, I have friends, I have friends that I'm that close to, that here's the thing. We can be in a room and we can know what each other's thinking about a situation or about a discussion. I don't have to say anything because I know them enough to know this is what they're thinking, this is how they respond. And I can decide sometimes to come in and try to comfort them and sometimes to come in and challenge them because I know them. I've got uh, our good friends Doug and Terry. Been through enough hospital-wise over the years. I don't have to do anything. I walk in the room. I sit there, and we can go an hour and never say anything and be a comfort and encouragement and help to them. Ministry of presence. Why? Because, truthfully, we have an intimate relationship where we know each other on a heart, soul, emotional kind of level. God says, that's what I want from all of you. I want that kind of relationship with you. And ultimately, by the way, when you have that kind of relationship with God and you're struggling, you don't know which way to turn, you know what God wants you to do because you have a relationship with him that is close. So that's my challenge this week. My challenge for each of us is to look at our, look at our lives have you put your faith and trust in him? Because he's drawn a line. Just like he did with Judah, he drew a line. Have you done that? Could you see that right now what's going on in your life might be God just simply saying, look, I'm preparing you for tougher times. Just trust me. I'm making it so when the horses come, you can keep up. You can keep up. And you won't get run over by the horses. And then that last concept of is maybe God using some of those things in your life to really draw you close. Or what you are doing instead is you're not taking care 
of that relationship and you're running farther and farther away. If we washed this shirt every day and took care of it and did all the things that we're supposed to do to it, it wouldn't look like this. At some point, we gave up on it. At some point, we said, it's going to the shed. And it's got another year or so left in it. And then its next step is the burn pit. And by the way, when they're covered with that much gas and oil, they burn really well. Um, but that's ultimately where it heads. Okay, look, don't throw away your relationship to God. Keep him close. Keep it clean. Take care of your stuff when you need to take care of your stuff. And make it the kind of relationship that honors God. That was the lesson God had for Jeremiah.